Well, good evening, and welcome to... ...2019. This is Rich Barago, known as Rich on Twitter. And, and we're pretty excited to kick off. It's 2019, and the calendar is turned, which means the baseball season can't be too far behind. And we're pretty anxious to get started talking about it. The Mets have certainly been active lately, right? I mean, my God, every time you look at your phone, you have a new trade to talk about. And we'll talk about those trades here tonight on the show. And uh, we'll talk about the direction the team is going. Do we agree? Do we disagree with this direction? Is, uh, is Brody being active for the sake of being active? Or is there a real plan here? Those and many others are the issues that we'll dive into. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce one of my co-conspirators in the Metzian podcast, Mr. Mike LeColent. Mike, otherwise known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Happy New Year to you, my friend. And uh, like you say, uh, I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited. Pretty excited. I can be Jekyll and Hyde, but I'm pretty excited. Great, great. And, and we have the honor of having a very special guest with us tonight, a, a voice that has been heard on this and other. Stradamus, Mr. John Coppinger. John, happy new year to you. And how are you tonight? Yep. Thank you very much. Happy new year uh, to uh, you guys and all your families. And uh, thanks for having me on as always. Great. Now, we're looking forward to talking uh, baseball with you, John. And, and our third member of the uh, Sam Rich and Mike triumvirate has joined us. Sam Maxwell joined us after a busy day out on the roads, otherwise known as uh, the Sam Maxwell on Twitter. So, Sam, happy New Year to you, and how are you doing tonight? Happy New Year, Rich. I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, I'm still out on the road, basically, you know, in between things, and uh, happy to talk a little Mets as I uh, take a quick respite. Excellent. And and uh, safe driving is number one, Sam, as we know. Right? Of course. It's it's good to have that respite. All right. So, gentlemen, here's what, here's what I'd like to do tonight. The Mets have been very active in the past. Uh, I saw the first trade come across. Made three trades. And the three trades all kind of seem similar. So that's where I'd like to start. I don't want to talk about the details of any one of them just yet. I want to talk pattern. Here's the pattern I'm seeing. The Mets are going after, uh, they seem to be going after guys who are inexpensive. Um, They're filling holes, and and I think that's the good thing, right? I think the Mets needed some outfield depth, and they went out and they got Keon Broxton. So it's a logical move in that sense, and we can talk about future implications later. So there's that. And then they picked up J.D. Davis. Yes, they need an infielder. They're back up infielder, and they got one. Okay. And they had a surplus of catching with the signing of Wilson Ramos. So they traded Kevin Flawecki for um, Walter Lockett, who seems to be bullpen and rotation depth. Okay. But the, de- the deals all fall into a pattern. They're getting guys who have dabbled in the major leagues, and in Broxton's case, a little more than that. And for these guys – they're basically gutting the farm system. They, they've traded a lot of prospects. They've gotten a couple back, but they've traded a lot of prospects. And particularly the deal today, from what I'm reading, the three prospects that went to um, over to uh, where they got J.D. Davis, drawing a blank, 
they got J.D. Davis from uh, – somebody help me out with that. Houston. Houston, I'm sorry. Thank you. After trading Jared Klenick, Justin Dunn, guys who were also considered good prospects in an organization doesn't have a lot of them. So let's talk about that. The pattern. Made it opinions on dealing prospects. So, so what, what are your thoughts? Rich, are you speaking hey, to me because you've been coming in and out of my phone. I don't know if anybody else is experiencing yeah, that. Yeah, Rich, I, I was. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you were talking to me either. So, um, I I was experiencing the same thing. Can you guys hear me better? Hey, my, no, it's it's a little rusty, but um, I I I think we got the the gist of it. But I'm I'll I'll take the reins if you guys can hear me. I can hear I can hear Real you. Quick. Yeah, Rich has been coming cutting in and out. I can hear you. Okay, well, well, in terms of um, yeah, no, I I I wanted to I'll talk I'll start with Brox uh, Broxton. I know we weren't going to get into details. I mean, I I, I know that. I'll say this about Broxton. It seems like he's kind of like ridiculously, ridiculously good at defense, uh, and and had a really good first year with some pop, uh, but fell off the face of of, of the Brewers' earth last year. And um, I'm I'm curious. You know, they, they the Mets do seem to a lot of times go for uh, upside. I think what I guess the the better thing to think about, uh, you know, is that they're not going for, like, the Gary Matthews Jr. upside, if you will. They're going for the the young upside. And that that's a plus to look on, even if it's, like Mike said uh, um, on Twitter a little bit ago, that it's basically the same story, new packaging. Um, and, and he's right. I'd like to see all of this geared up towards something different. I mean, like you said, Rich, there's a lot of prospects that just got depleted for not exactly, you know, after they made those big moves with Diaz and Robinson Cano, and and, uh, I know they made some other big move, and I'm totally trying to blank on it, but that's the point. There's still something else to be done there, you know, I'm I'm holding out hope. All of a sudden, I was totally against both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. I still don't think Manny Machado is a fit. But boy, oh boy, am I more and more in the my God, Bryce Harper is such a fit. It's kind of ridiculous. Ah, anyway, um, but that's basically my my take on the entire thing. Uh, kind of, and I'll loop it to you, Mike, on that. Uh, kind of exactly like you said on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's it's a differently designed penny. <laughs> well, like I said, I could be a little Jekyll and Hyde at times. Rich, are you back with us? Are you incommunicado? Yeah, I, this should be better. I change phones. Okay. Uh, I know we're keeping it kind of general for now. Uh, we're talking about uh, Walter Lock- uh, excuse me, Walker Lockett, uh, Keon Broxton, and, and J.D. J. Davis. Uh, they're more you know, usable now uh, versus the players that we gave up who are very low-level prospects, you know, people who were just drafted recently, 
uh, maybe two-year players like Justin Dunn. Uh, but we did, in fact, give up some good talent. Uh, Ross Adolph, I watched up close in Brooklyn last year. Justin Dunn, likewise, I watched him in Brooklyn. Jared Selenik, nobody knows anything about him. But there's a lot more value in prospects at the low levels than there are, per se, for a guy who's been around four or five years and really hasn't stood out amongst his peers. So I, I, I kind of get what's going on here. Uh, Sam, yeah, I can be Jekyll and Hyde, and I did accuse him of doing that uh, prior. I'm not moving from that. Uh, it just depends what uh, mood I'm in from time to time. But there's, there's a mo- definitely a motif going on here. Uh, when you can't delve into free agency like the Mets cannot, uh, we said several podcasts ago that the offseason was going to be a test in BVW's creativity. Uh, and that's exactly what he's exercising here, creativity. For better or for worse, uh, you, you can't knock him for trying. No, yeah, you if, can't. If I, could jump, if I could jump in here, too, you know, you, you, hit, it, you hit, hit it right in a hat. It's, uh, the word is creativity. You know, this is something, all these trades and all of these moves that they're making, are the, they're the kind of moves that I think Sandy and even Omar Minaya to an extent, shied away from, the, the trades big and small. I mean, there have been a few off-seasons where – there hadn't been any trades at the major league level, and there hadn't, uh, and then there were some off seasons where there may have been one or two. You know, some of the, you know, some of the garden variety. You know, th- these are the kind of trades I think you see from a new GM that's waiting, that's looking to make his mark, like you said, Rich, and also a GM that have, really has no ties to a lot of the prospects in this organization, so he doesn't see the value in them. I think that can be dangerous. Uh, and I think it'll be especially dangerous when we see what uh, Kellenick and Dunn can do. I think after that trade, anything that happens is, is kind of uh, it, it's I'm numb to it because I don't think there's been a, a prospect that's that's left that's, that has the high ceiling of those guys. So like like in the Broxton trade, for example, the uh, the return for the Brewers seemed kind of low for that. You know, Broxton is intriguing, but again, you're, you're looking at depth guys. You know, guys that are um, coming in to reshape the roster. I mean, the roster was made kind of clunky the last couple of years, too many first-base corner outfield types, so at least they're addressing that. Time's going to tell, I think, if it's too um, – if, if they gave up too much for it. And also keep in mind, too, Brody has surrounded himself with a lot of uh, – a lot of guys like Allard Baird and guys like that and some new – some new uh, front office blood, if you will, and, and uh, a lot of them probably have his ear. So there could be a lot of trades that are made on their recommendation as well. So I think you're seeing all of this in a, in a perfect storm, and, uh, and you're seeing a lot of trades made because of it. Yeah, you know, John, I, I think you're right on that, and, um, and that's, you made a really good point that while Brody has no experience, and it's very easy to say, you know, here's a guy who doesn't know how to build an organization. All he knows is, you know, major league players. So what's he doing? He's trading prospects for low-level major league players because he doesn't have an idea of how to build from the bottom up. But the Mets have surrounded him with some very good people. And I'm sure these folks who have done this before are advising him. And, um, and they, you know, I think there's a pretty good brain trust at City Field right now. And if, and if they're all aligned around these things, while to us as fans, it's like, holy cow. I mean, the farm system was, you know, what, 26th or so. 
uh, going into 18 with some of the trades they made. I think it went up to like 19th or 20th, depending on which report you're reading. In terms of depth, that's still not good, but getting better. And then, you know, here they are shedding a lot of the prospects, and as fans, we're like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing here? But maybe we have to have the faith that the people they've surrounded Brody with have a good enough idea of how to do this and have been down this road before and are advising him. So, so let's jump in. If, Sam, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll hold on to, to the hosting duties now that I have a real phone. And um, let's, oh, jump yeah, into the, <laughs> let's jump into the specific trades that were made in the past day and a half. So let, let's talk about Keon Broxton. So, yes, they gave up some prospects, maybe low-level prospects. We talked about that. Is getting Keon Broxton good for the New York Mets? I'll throw my opinion out quickly, then we'll rotate it around. I think it's a great move, quite honestly. He's basically Juan Lagares, a little less accomplished in terms of time in the major leagues, but defensively he basically is Juan Lagares. Um, he struggles offensively. Lagares is probably better offensively. But Broxton needs to grow into the role. And here's one where I'm going to play the money card. If you're looking at a defensive replacement, you know, occasional starter in the outfield, I'd rather pay 500 grand for that than $9 million. So I'm all about this Keon Broxton trade. I love it. Somebody made the analogy to Aaron Hicks, how Hicks, you know, had struggled with the Twins, and, um, and when he got to the Yankees and got a regular role in some different scenery, he became a much better player. And I think that's an excellent point. So, so Mike, we'll go to you again first on this one. Give me your thoughts specifically on the Broxton trade. Good addition. Like you say, it adds depth. It's not the solution, but it helps. Uh, and for the price we paid, you know, it, it's, a, it's a price-worthy swap. Uh, good muscle, good dollar on the muscle. The hook was Bobby Wall. We threw in Adam Hill. We threw in Felix Valario. So, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, those guys were expendable. You know, part of the reason why you cultivate players is to trade them, uh, not only to utilize them on your own team. So it, it's it, it's a deal that satisfies a need. He plays outfield, center field specifically. He's 28 years old, so that's a good place to be. He doesn't become a free agent until 2023, so they got themselves a controllable player. I, I'm with you. Uh, John, we'll go to you next, specifically with what the Mets needed, whatever we want to throw in. What do you think of the Broxton trade? Broxton is intriguing, very intriguing for me for all the reasons that, that you guys said. He's, um, he's a healthier Ligaris, and that, that I think is key here. This is a guy that you can count on to be, up until this point, to be on the field. Ligaris, I, I feel really bad for him because Ligaris – is the type of player that's always been a really good influence. Uh, I don't know about in the clubhouse. I'm not in the clubhouse, so I don't know. But the things he does on the field, the, the heady plays that he makes when he's healthy, I think could have been an asset to younger players on the Mets, and I think they have been. So I feel, uh, feel kind of bad for Lagarde that his job is being taken away. I'm going to flip the money situation on you a little bit because, Rich, you said that you'd rather have – Broxton at 500000 and Ligaris at $9 million. And I, I agree with you. But now the question becomes, I think the interesting thing is they got Broxton before they found the taker for Ligaris in a trade. So now the leverage is down a little bit. So now everybody knows, hey, the Mets are going to try and get rid of this guy. Uh, and I don't think they were going to get much for him anyway. Maybe they get a reliever with, the, with a similar salary structure. But now, I think with the, with the lessened leverage, not only are they going to give him away for 
for a small return, but now they may have to pay some of that salary just to get rid of them. So I'm very intrigued to see what the Mets do in, in that regard, and that might be a situation where they wait until a few weeks into spring training to pull the trigger on a move with the team for Lagares. I think you might be right on that, John, uh, on everything you said. So, Sam, what do you think? Does Broxton fit? Uh, what does it mean for Lagares? Go with it. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I was going to go with the Lagares part, and, and so that was a good segue. I mean, it, it just it has to be done now. It, it, it's, it, you know, we, we were pretty sure that they were going to try to move him eventually, but now I don't think uh, they're, I think the writing's clearly on the wall. Um, and, John, you make real good points about, about leverage being down and maybe a similar salary structure. So then, you know, I, I, I do think that uh, for all the reasons what we've, uh, we've stated, it, it is a good move, and the defensive numbers are, are ghastly. And Brett, I wonder about the timing, considering that if you, if, you, if, if you are just flipping it for similar salary structure, uh, um situation with a reliever then what what's the wasn't the point to shed that salary in the first place so uh, you know it the timing is strange it is and it may be this maybe part of it is this maybe the broxton deal was on the table and they took it while they could and maybe with lagaris what they're hearing is yeah 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 but let, let us see he's healthy in spring training before we give you anything for this guy so Brody might have been painted into a corner by Lagares' most recent injury. I'm just guessing that maybe he knew he couldn't move the asset till March, and the Brock he didn't want somebody else to get Broxton, which I think is a great find for 500 grand. So maybe, who knows? But uh, but I, I do agree. It puts the Mets in a tough spot. They've lost leverage on Lagares, so probably have to sell low, which they really you know don't need to be doing that at this point. So so let's move on. To the J.D. Davis trade, this, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Yes, the Mets wanted infield depth, but they picked up a guy from the Astros who, you know, limited playing time in the majors over the past two years, 24 games in 17, 42 games in 18, career batting average of 194. What I've read about him, obviously you can't go by these minimal statistics. What I've read about him, he could play the corners and in the infield and the outfield. He has swing and miss in him, which, you know, so does Broxton, right? A lot of that going around. But he could pop the ball out of the ballpark, and he apparently mashes lefties. So is J.D. Davis kind of a younger, almost same age, actually, version of Wilmer Flores, who, um, you know, as we know, Flores mashed lefties, uh, who maybe could play a couple of more positions. God only knows we never wanted to see Flores in the outfield, and apparently Davis can play the corner positions. Um, some power like Flores. So, so did the Mets here just, you know, go for a guy who's younger, a little bit less expensive. They had a trade for him, but to kind of fill the Flores role with maybe a, a slight upgrade from Flores. So John, what do you think? I, uh, you're not talking to the guy that knows all that much about JD Davis, but what it sounds like to me, and I will say this in his case, I mean, you forget the numbers, but at least if they're going to use this guy as a utility guy, then I think it's better than, say, trying to make a guy like Jose Reyes a utility guy. I think that's something the Mets have lacked is a true utility guy, not a guy that's forced into that role. So you know, maybe Davis catches fire. Maybe he gets some at-bats 
at one position. But, uh, you know, the, the Mets have done that with too many guys, kind of force a square peg into a round hole and make them utility guys where their future was better served by just learning their craft at the plate while worried about one position. I'm thinking of Daniel Murphy. I'm thinking of a guy like Justin Turner. I'm thinking, I'm even thinking of Jeff McNeil in the present. I think that's a guy that, that served better by playing one position and, and just learning his craft and becoming the best hitter he can be because he's got that upside. If, if bringing in a guy like JD Davis who doesn't have that expectation, but to be a true utility guy, if that's the goal here, then I'm, then I'm more than fine with that. Sam, what do you think? Well, yeah, it makes me think about um, Jeff McNeil in this uh, situation. And um, I, I'm not sure if any of you said uh, J.D. Davis, he's known defensively. Obviously, Wilmer was not. He is adequate. From what I've read, they consider him to be maybe slightly less than adequate overall defensively. So base call him average. All right. So so are we basically assuming – and, you you know, we just mentioned a bunch of names there. Uh, Jose Reyes. What is going on with Jose Reyes? Uh, and what about Todd Frazier? Um, are they going to look to trade Todd Frazier here? Um is Peter McNeil basically penciled in at third base right now? What what does this all mean for the infield? Obviously, if, you know, it's a utility infielder that's great, but what what's going on with all these different pieces? And, and not to mention, obviously, I don't think they're depending on T.J. Rivera, but, you know, he's still trying to make it back. So there, there's there's so much to, to think about regarding this uh, this the the infield right now. They do have a lot of pieces that will have to sort themselves out. And who knows when the next shoe is going to drop. Seriously, will it be Frazier? What will it be? But they have a lot of bodies. And, and T.J. Rivera is a body that they have. You know that, and, and if he's adequately recovered, he's in the mix. But, Mike, talk to me about the J.D. Davis move. What do you think? Rich, I think this is a legitimate move at, a, at acquiring a quality corner guy, third base, first base. It's a hedge against Peter Alonzo and whatever happens at third base. Don't pay any attention to his major league stats. He's only got 66 major league games played. Look at his minor league stats. The kid is slashing 292, 362, uh, And just in rounded numbers, I, I think he has about 100 home runs and somewhere around 1,500 at-bats. Uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So if plan A is to go with Alonzo at first base and plan A is to go with Frazier or McNeil at, at third base, well, then this is, again, he's a 25-year-old who's poised to be a major leaguer. So I think this is a hedge trade, a smart hedge trade, and, and a legitimate attempt at acquiring good talent. We gave up some good talent in Ross Adolph. Like I said, I was attached to him from his playing days here at Brooklyn last summer. Uh, but they may have gave it, given up too much. They also threw in Luis Santana and Scott uh, Manea, but, you know, that's fine. That's fine because the more I think about this trade, the more I like it. Uh, he may prove uh, to be a lot more valuable to this team than meets the eye. Good. Well, there was definitely a need, right? They're definitely with the absence of Flores, with Flores moving on, which I guess I'm hearing he might go to Tampa Bay. Um they had to get a player, and and if you added a guy who might be 
a wash defensively, but can play a couple of more positions. And, Mike, to your point, if what he did in the minor leagues could in some way, on some level, translate to, you know, to, ma- to the major leagues, you know, the power you're talking about, okay, you know what? Adding depth, you have to have depth. And we all know about teams, including the Mets, who when their front-line players go down and they have crappy depth and they, they can't go anywhere. So, yes, it's a painful lesson the Mets have learned that you need depth, and they're adding that depth. So speaking of, um, they had a surplus of catchers. They had Wilson Ramos, uh, Travis Darno, Kevin Plucky, and Tomas Nito. And today the Mets kind of took care of some of that by moving Kevin Plawecki to the Cleveland Indians, and the primary piece coming back is Walter Lockett. Now, Walter last year, again, very small sample size, only four games with the Padres. Uh, you know, didn't, his statistics are, are a little bit skewed by that. Fifteen innings pitched, he gave up 16 runs, so you don't really want to talk about that. But from what I understand, they see him as bullpen slash uh, starting rotation depth, and again, I think it's okay to add depth. I think Plowecki was expendable. I'm okay with this, but I'm only one of four people talking here. So, so John, why don't we start with you? What do you think of the, of the trade of Plowecki for Lockett? Are you going to miss Plowecki? Do you think they should have traded Darno, or, or where are you on the whole thing? I think they should have traded Darno, and uh, that's I will uh, I will die on that hill. It's a weird hill hill to die on, but I'll die on it. That said, I can't. My heart can't break too much for a guy leaving when he hit 210. You know, Plowecki's been a very good soldier. Uh, I was reading uh, today, and, and somebody on Twitter reminded, I think it was one of the beat writers, reminded me that he was the guy who stepped up in the, in the clubhouse um, after Matt Harvey refused to talk to the media. And he was the guy that was left to pick up the pieces with the media and spoke, and spoke uh, to, to reporters. So we're talking about a stand-up guy. So his his contributions are are very much appreciated. But for for a spare catcher to go to get some depth, I think it was um, I think it was a good move. Apparently, um, the uh, the Walker kid uh, is um, was uh, once the uh, Padres uh, I think the minor league minor league pitcher of the year or minor league player of the year. So there's obviously something there. He's a six-five guy, so he's big. So uh, again, it, it, it goes back to the theme of what you've been saying all night with uh, with acquiring depth, acquiring pieces that can uh, that can help the team in the smaller areas, the fringes. You know, that, that's uh, and and a swingman from the uh, from the bullpen to the starting rotation is one of those pieces that have that's been needed. So I think. Considering the circumstances, considering the Mets had to get rid of a catcher, they did they did the best job they could. Agreed. Uh, so, Sam, what are your thoughts? Kevin Ploiecki, gone. Walter Lockett, in. What do you think? I'm not completely on uh, that it should have been Darno. I mean, you know, I hear people talking about how it's Wilson Ramos and Travis Darno are now the injured battery duo. Uh, but I still think, I mean, like, you know, Ploiecki had – uh, some injury issues at certain points too. He would get a chance, he wouldn't perform, and then he, he'd get injured too. Uh, he was injured last year, uh, basically. I think right after Dar- Darno got injured, that's why we said hello to Tom- Tomas Nito. So, you know, with, with people like you know talking about how they they went with Plowecki, which might, you know, not have been the the most uh, uh, 
insane decision in an injury standpoint. I'm like, it hasn't been much better, you guys. Um, so, but, you know, like you said, you know, stand-up individual, he, he, he's soldiered on and he was part of the 2015 squad, even if he never caught fire. Uh, he's still part of that. And, you know, I remember the image of him pumping his fist out of the dugout when, what was it, the, the, I think it was the Duda or one of those home runs, uh, you know, he was, he was very much just part of that visual that when you're looking back at 2015, you're going to remember, remember Kevin Kowalecki. And so that's certainly something to, to mention as well. Um, but in, in reality, we still, you know, mind you, we're talking about potential injuries and people who have had, had an injury history, but we're also talking about people who have a track record offensively if they are on the field. And I just think it's a better dynamic. It's a better duo to have out there. And maybe if they're both spelling each other better than even Ploiecki and, and uh, uh, Darno ever did, then maybe we can really be onto something here. I don't know. Maybe there's too many maybes, but maybe it's just the uh, playing the greatest hits tonight on on a, a Metsian podcast. <laughs> I was just gonna say that that may, maybe there's too many maybes. It sounds like a love song. <laughs> I'll, I'm Damn, I would write it. that I'm down. Write it tomorrow. I'll write it tonight, maybe. Um, so, Mike, what do you think? Well, you know, the arrival of Wilson Ramos was going to make somebody expendable. Uh, you know, which one we could have kept, it, it really doesn't matter to me. I, I'm going to put a twist on something that John said uh, insofar as being attached to these players, something which BBW is not. And that's a good thing. Uh, you know, sometimes the best decisions aren't the most popular ones. And, and the fact that this guy isn't attached to, uh, you know, Ploiecki, and th- but this applies to the minor leagues as well. That's a good thing. That, that's a good thing. That's how change get, get, gets done, you know. So, look, we're taking a chance on a right-handed pitcher who's only 24 years old. That's fine. For somebody who is expendable, that's fine. For somebody who, me, frankly, I was kind of tired on him having, you know, late surges in September to justify his existence on the team, you know, that's fine. So I'm okay with the trade. So it sounds like um, we're generally okay. I think the four of us have talked, and you know, there, there are a couple of trepidations here and there, but but I, I what I've heard is sort of an endorsement, a, a qualified endorsement of the moves that have been made in the last day and a half. A little bit of concern about the prospects going, but also recognizing that these moves are strategic in nature. They do seem to be filling identified holes, um, and they seem to be as reasonable as they can be when, when you don't know what you're trading away, actually. You really don't. You don't know what these guys are going to be. So let, let's, let's go on to our next topic. The Mets have been quite active, as we've talked about. So what I'm going to ask you is, where do you want to see them go next? Yeah, I, I think we'd all like to see them sign Bryce Harper, Randy Machado. That's not happening. So I'll seed it here, Mike, and I'll go to you first on this one. What I'd like to see happen next, is I'd like to see them move Ligaris and, and get that money off the books, and it might not be until spring training, as John noted earlier. But they, they have to get a lefty in that bullpen, and I, I don't want to see some scrub. I don't want to see a minor league deal for a lefty. I want to see them get a guy who's been around like, like a Tony Sip, or, or they lost out on Britain, of course, going back to the Yankees, but somebody with quality major league experience who can get lefties out, I think that's now a priority. So to me, and, and if it's a money issue, 
get Ligaris's money off the books or at least be confident that you can and go af- go after that lefty. Um, next, I- I'd like to see them try to add a slightly better starting pitcher for starting pitcher depth because, as we know, these guys aren't going to all start 35 games each. So somebody's going to go down. So um, is Lockett depth he is? I'd like to see somebody a little more experience, a little more of a track record. So those are the two, the two things I'd like to see them do. Um, I think those are realistic things. So let's go to you, Mike. If you're, in the, if you're at the helm of the ship, what do you want to do next? You know what, Rich? I want, I want one, one credible name. One name that doesn't make you flinch. I don't care what position it comes in. Just give me one more name because for all the moves that BBW has, you know, uh, performed this off season. For every for every name we can throw out there, I can throw out a Scott Harrison and Andres Torres and Eric Young Jr. Marlon Bird, a Colin Calgill, uh, Michael Kadire. You know, I could throw out a Latroy Hawkins and a Frank Francisco and a Tim Burdak and a Latroy Hawkins. You, you get my drip. So that was really well me, done, Mike. That was well done. Give me, <laughs> give me one more name. Only, if for no other reason, just to back up what you said heading into your administration. Otherwise, you know, if he doesn't keep up the narrative, well, you know how Met fans can be sometimes. We we could just flip this on him and say, well, these are the same moves that Sandy Alderson used to make, and point everything right back to the right back to the Wilpons. So keep the narrative going. You know, and, and show some is there and get one name that doesn't make us go, hmm. I'll leave it at that. So, Mike, I hear you. Um, but I'm not going to let you off just that easy. I'm not going to make you give me a name. But give me a, a, a position that you'd like. It doesn't have to be set in stone, but throw something out. A position you'd like to see them get that name. What, what, what well, do you think? Well, you see, I'm going to get into, I'm going to deal in the ideal here. I, you know, I, I'm still in search of a leadoff man, okay. and I want that leadoff man to be a center fielder. Uh, otherwise, you know, find me, find me a catcher. Find me, uh, I, I want the real Mudo. So, you know, Wilson Ramos to me is not the solution. Uh, I, I'm thankful that it's a short-term deal. So really, in the ideal, I, I, I want a center field. I want a classic leadoff hitter, center fielder, somebody with speed, somebody with good defense. Uh, that, that's what I want. Uh, otherwise, I, I understand the plan. I don't want to, you know, digress into money issues because you know me and I've been following it, and we still got two more years of debt to go. And, and that's when I think the, you know, the more prohibitive aspects of this whole operation will start to lighten up. So just keep the narrative going. Fair enough. So, like they're doing the dating game, bachelor number two, same question. Sam, same question to you. I know that he's a lefty specialist now, and I know people have thrown the name out there, but Oliver Perez would be a fucking disaster. <laughs> 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 you just 
imagine the headline. Yeah, look at that. Just triggered. Triggered. <laughs> and so I I think that and I'd actually like to, to you know, this is like half jokingly aside, I'm actually gonna follow up with uh, where where Mike went there. That I, I really do think that Brandon Nimmo is a, a great leadoff hitter, and and that's why I, I understand where he's cut, where you're coming from, Mike. But at the same time, I don't think it's as much of a uh, a big deal because I, I do think that they're they've got a direction regarding the lineup uh, going right now, and and so I do think I would like to see them pick up a lefty specialist. Uh, not named Oliver Perez, and I mean, it's even though it's something about it would be quite funny, especially because he's got the Louis Tiant coming coming now, and just the, the dynamic of Met fans and him doing the Louis Tiant, and maybe it could be fun now. I don't know, but probably not. It 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 could it it would most likely be a disaster because it's the Mets and it's Oliver Perez. So um, I don't know. I don't know enough names. Uh, right now, I think that, like you know, Mike's talking about the prohibitive state of the of the finances. I think that we all we've all discussed it. How much money would flood into City Field the second that anything sounding like the Mets have signed Bryce Harper comes out, even like before pending physical, even before those words get said. But you know, we're just not dealing with we're not dealing. We don't seem to be dealing with smart baseball people, but you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting at the the head of the uh, the head of state there, so you know, who who knows? Maybe they they they're they're finally figuring it out. But anyway, that's where I go, Rich. Not so, Oliver Perez. <laughs> lefty, not named Oliver Perez. Uh, okay, I'm with you. All right, John, we're, if you're in charge, you're you're in the uh, you're in the office. Where, where are you going with this thing? Well. Realistically, and I and I'm going to eventually break one of your rules because I know you said don't mention Bryce Harper because it's not happening. But I'm gonna I am going to get around to that. If you want to talk about realism, what I would do is I would trade Todd Frazier, and uh, I would you know I, it's not that I don't like Todd Frazier, but I don't like the premise that brought him here, which was the same thing they did with trading for Jeff Francoeur and and signing Bobby Abreu and guys like that. Let's get these, these guys that are going to be positive clubhouse influences and then hope they hit 250 with, and hit 30 home runs. Uh, you know, that, that's hope that never comes true. So I'd like to work out a trade for Todd Frazier, maybe get a reliever back that way and, and plug McNeil every day at third base. Because I think McNeil earned the opportunity to be an everyday player and anything that improves the offense, especially now that they're, they seem to be handing the keys to, to Broxton at first, I think will help. So that's what I would do. I would also look into getting a, uh, a backup shortstop because I think they got a lot of depth in the other spots in the infield. I'd like to see somebody that can legitimately play shortstop. Maybe Jimenez comes up and is that backup right now. So that's what I would like to see them do. Now, now I'm going to go to get around to Bryce Harper now because I know it's not realistic because of the money, and you're not going to sign Bryce Harper long-term. And I know it's not realistic because they went and got Keon Broxton. But my idea before Broxton, and maybe, maybe you still do it, 
is, look, you got Wilson Ramos because Yasmani Grandal turned down a four-year, $60 million offer. Correct? Yeah. So, so that means that there's $40 million burning a hole in their pocket somewhere, and that's even with the financial restraints that they have. This for, the, 40, the extra $40 million was earmarked for a catcher. And let's give the Mets credit for making that offer. Let's, let's uh, scorn Grandal for turning it down. I don't know why he did that. But I, they've got I, an extra when, 40. When did this come out? Who, who mentioned this? What, what, what was, it was uh, uh, George was, Castillo of the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, it, oh, was, it was out, out there. there. Yeah, it was out there. Yes. And boy, am I glad he turned it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, but I'm glad the Mets at least went after a top free agent at his position. I think the Mets should be commended for that. But as long as you got $40 million, and as long as the market is slow to develop for Bryce Harper, maybe, maybe Harper and Boris feel that way. Here's what I do. I take that $40 million, especially if you can get Ligaris and Frazier's contract off the books. I offer it to Harper for one year. One-year contract, pillow deal, $40 million. Maybe he doesn't take it. Who knows? But you got the money, and, and, maybe, and maybe they think about it. Maybe, maybe the, the Boris camp at least thinks about it. For one year, it's a strong offer, and then once, once it's over, whether Harper brings you to the promised land or whether, whether he bombs and he's still going through the, microfract, the effects of the microfracture surgery, you, at least you did it, and then after one year, you can wipe your hands of it and move on again. Again, maybe now that's not so realistic after the Broxton trade, but if you got the $40 million, that's something I would, I, would at least, I would at least bring up in that room. Well, you know what, John? I mean, I, I've done the no Bryce Harper talk thing because I'm saddened by the, the non-reality of it. But it doesn't mean I disagree with your premise. And what, what we talked about on the last podcast we did on Christmas Eve is what Brody would do when he was selling these guys to teams is Brody would, I'm sure, say, look, yeah, this is a lot of money, but my guy can do this. So if if you – go to the playoffs, you get this much money. You sell this many jerseys, you get this much. Well, nobody's right. going to do that more than Bryce Harper, right, in New York City. Exactly. Models would be sold out in an hour of 34 Harper jerseys, sold out, right? And Heck, you, like can, Mike, you can give them seven now. You can give them Mantle's number now that Reyes is gone. <laughs> and like Mike said in the last podcast, you <laughs> filled the upper deck two-thirds of the games at City Field this year. How's that did, not paying did for retire? Did Reyes retire? Not yet, unofficially, no. But so he wants to play, like but he's a free agent. Wait, are, are you sure? I, I thought it was a two-year deal that he signed before last year. No, it was one. No, it was no, it was it was one. Yeah, yeah. He's um, it was a one-year deal. He's gone. Okay. So, but you would have to think, and what do I know, right? But. You would have to think that Brody's sitting down with Wilpon and saying, and doing that same sales pitch. It, look, I'll clear Frazier. I'll clear Lagaris. So we have some short-term relief. And, and let, let me put a three-year deal on the table for Harper. Four years. We'll fill the upper deck. It brings in this much. We sell this many jerseys, this many more hot dogs, more parking, all this shit. I would hope that he's doing that, but I've kind of given up that hope. And, John, you, know, you kind of got me going again. with you see, you'll get a loan from the MLB again. You're comfortable doing it. <laughs> right. John, go ahead. Run with that one. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you on, on all counts. And I do agree with you on the fact that I think it's time to start giving up that deal. But, you know, I, I, I do think that that premise is solid. How many people would show up for a Bryce Harper gnome night? I think the rumblings are there. I don't think that the social media rumblings to sign Harper are as, gr- are as great as they were when Cespedes was a free agent at the end of 2015 and again at the end of 2016. But there's a little bit of rumbling there. If you do this deal, let, let's say hypothetically, you, you give Harper, you even offer Harper one year at $40 million. Let's say he doesn't take it. Okay, that still has long-term effects because now it shows people like Scott Boris and maybe it shows people like Nolan Arenado, who's going to be a free agent in a year, that, oh, okay, the Mets might actually be serious now. They may be done shopping in the frozen food aisle, playing the long game. It's, it's putting seeds in guys' heads, and maybe you, cre- you can create a little more interest going forward. It's certainly a shock to the system. And it wouldn't be that half-assed offer that they gave to Vladimir Guerrero when his market was depressed after he left the Expos. It wouldn't be that incentive-laden nonsense. No, no. One year, $40 million. That's going to open some eyes whether it happens or not. Well, Mike, I want you to take this one next because I know you, you, you're the one on, of the three of us who knows the most about the financial picture. Uh, I would almost take it, John, in, a, in I love your premise. I would twist it, though, and say based on everything Mike's talked about on these podcasts, the financial situation should get better in about two years from now, right? So mm-hmm. maybe what you do is you shed guys like Ligaris and Frazier and say, look, we're going to suffer a little bit in year one maybe, but to do that, you know, we know we're a little tight year one and two on this deal. To do that, we're trying to make up some room by getting rid of Frazier's money, getting rid of Ligaris's money, which is about half of what Harper would get for those couple of years. And, and, We'll make it work somehow, and then in the back years, when the, you know, the debt is paid off and all that, and we're raking in money from the jersey sales and the upper deck being full and hopefully postseason money, it'll work, Jeff. Mike, what do you think? Do you think Jeff would even listen to him, or, or do you think that these conversations are not even – have never occurred? <laughs> I have to laugh. I'll, I'll just re-educate the audience out there real quick. In 2015, they renegotiated and refinanced the final – Seven million hundred dollars of debt stemming from Madoff in the aftermath thereof. Uh, we have two more years to go, or they have two more years to go, which leaves, you know, in fantasy figures, two hundred eighty million dollars left over the next two seasons. They worked long and hard to get to this point, and what is this point? Financial stability and and predictable. Uh, they they have a predictable economy. And, you know, bringing in Bryce Harper to them would disrupt all of it. They're so close to the end, I feel, that they're just not going to disrupt that. Uh, You know, they're going to bite the bullet for another two seasons. They've never been forthright, you know, so I don't expect them to be open and honest about things now. In two more years, perhaps we'll see a change in, you know, their operating procedures. Uh, But until then, this is their lot. Uh, And they're so close, like I said, there's something to be said for financial stability, and they're not going to ruin it. Uh, They operate with very strict cost certainty. And, and, you know, uh, in that respect, this is where I'll I'll jump over to my hide side and and say this is where BVW comes in, and he's just 
repackaging, you know, the same old stuff. Uh, he's a younger, more energetic, uh, handsome, you know, uh, big smile kind of guy pushing the same, you know, pushing the same thing forward if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty. But I'm not going to go there. All I'm just going to say is they're not going to disrupt their 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 predictability for Bryce Harper. In two, in two more years, you know, it's a different story. They'll still have the uh, the payments on City Field, but that's thing, you know, that they had plans for. Madoff was unplanned. And that's something they still have to deal with for the next two seasons. Sam. What do you think? Do you think this is pure folly and we should never think about it again? Or as you could tell, John energizing a little bit. Do you think it's at least a a 1% chance that they're trying to do all this madness and get all these low-cost guys to try and make room for a run at Harper? What do you think? Uh, My question is, have they negotiated with Scott Boris for anybody this year? No. Not that I know of. No. And Scott I don't know Boris if they've negotiated with Scott Boris for anybody the last three or four years. Agreed. Yeah, you're right that's about that. Question. That's a great question, too. But apparently he'll only talk to uh, Jeff or, or uh, Fred, remember, what he said. Yes. Um, so, I'm, we're, you know, you got to wonder about all that. Uh, I think that Scott Boris knows that the Mets would be great friends to him relatively speaking, you know, as best friends as they can be, uh, if it weren't for the Wilpons. And do I do I think it's pure folly? Yeah, it probably is, but it makes so much sense. I, I don't think this is just us being, you know, our Twitter GMs. I think this does make legitimate sense for every argument that we have shelled out over these last few podcasts. Uh, it's it's just something's got to give eventually. And, you know, we also have to remember that they've spent money before. It's just been in the wrong places, a la Oliver, Oliver Perez. So, you know, we we can only hope that something changes from the way that the Wilpons allow somebody under them to go about the business. And hopefully BBW is it. But I don't think that we should hedge our bets necessarily on them getting financial freedom because when they did have Madoff-type financial freedom, it didn't have the best long-term stability. And hopefully that's what changes mostly with BBW. I'll jump in here after you. That's a great point. I'll just jump in one one more time and say that I think that uh, that yes, things things could change after two years when they have more financial stability. But there's a part of me that thinks that the Wilpons are are kind of liking this cost certainty way of thinking. And I will I will say this. I'll go to my grave believing that 1993. That team that was put together with so much money for back then but had such disastrous results, I think in a small way that team affects the decisions that they've made in the last 10. It may. Yeah, you may be right. Um, Even now. You may be right. Um, All right, men. So 
It's been great talking about the three things, the three trades that the Mets have made in the past day and a half, and also strategically where they should go. You know, I think we did the realistic thing first, and we dove into Bryce Harper a little bit and, and had a chance to kick that one around, which I think you have to. I mean, to the degree that he's still out there and the fact that the Mets are a New York team, everything else, Will Ponds, all that stuff, it has to be talked about if you're going to talk about the Mets because Bryce Harper is still out there and still technically available, so I think we had to do that. So I'd like to do two more things here before we say goodnight. And the first one, this is our first episode of 2019, so let's play with the number one a little bit. And, you know, we've done this a lot over the years where we pick a Met or Mets who have worn that number, and we talk about our fond memories of that individual. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a twist on it tonight, and we'll go in this order. We'll go, uh, we'll go Mike first, then Sam, then John on the number one. I'm going to ask you to take one guy, though, not, not a bunch of them, just one guy that you'd like to talk about who wore the number one. And, and if you could, maybe a guy, I mean, we all know Mookie Wilson, right? If you want to talk about Mookie, that's fine. But maybe a guy who's a little, little more subtle than that, a, a guy who wasn't around that long, who maybe you either really liked or really didn't like. And let's do it that way. I'll start. So I'm going to go with Lance Johnson. I was a big Lance Johnson fan. You know, Mike and I are cut from the same cloth, and I, John, I think you may be as well. You know, kind of the old-school baseball, leadoff hitter, great defense, guy who can run, gets on base, steal bases, all that stuff. The Mets had one full year of Lance Johnson in which he had 724 plate appearances, which means he never walked, right, um, And uh, which led the National League at that point. But look at some of these numbers, you know. In that year that he had with the Mets, he hit 333, had 21 triples. He had 50 stolen bases and was only caught 12 times. So there's a guy who he was a Met for a year and a half. The following year he was traded to Chicago. Before he was traded, he was hitting 309 as a Met through 72 games. So, you know, he had a, he had a good year and a half. Um, you want to talk about the quintessential leadoff hitter. I mean, here's a guy who, when you look at his 14 years in the major leagues, he hit a total of 54 home runs. So no power, slap hitter, great defense, great speed, prototypical leadoff hitter. I really, really liked Lance Johnson for the year and a half that he was a Met. And so when I think about number one and, and maybe somebody who's a little bit less obvious, I'm going to Lance Johnson. So, Mike, what about you? What do you think? Give me number one. I'm in lockstep with you about him. Uh, here's someone, Jordani Valdespin, troublemaker with the Mets. But, boy, is he having a hell of a career as a member of the Long Island Ducks, independent baseball, the Atlantic League, out in Iceland, Long Island. Uh, you don't hear about stories like that. But that's, you know, one of those, where are they now? <laughs> Jordani Valdespin, the Long Island Ducks. How do you like that? I like it. And, uh, come on, somebody say it. Somebody has to say it. What's his famous line? I'm the man right now. That's I'm it. I'm the man right now. <laughs> he hit a home run, I believe it was off of Applebon in Philly, and he was on the field with Kevin Burkhart, and he said, I am the, usually get. <laughs> I am the man right now. Love it. <laughs> that, Sam. Was, that, was his, that, that was his first major league hit. And I forget how I, I forget how many at-bats he had gotten prior to that. But I do believe he was hitless, as opposed to it being his his first at bat as well. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he had gotten like a couple, maybe three, 
And then it was like we were waiting for his first major league hit, and that I'm I'm fairly certain was that night against Papelbon when when the Mets were still on this magical tour, you know, tear of possibly being good in 2012. It it may well have been. Um, so does anybody else remember a classic Jordani Valdez Spain line? Uh, I was at the game in spring training in 2013 when Justin Verlander hit him with a pitch. And does anybody remember this? I do. remember. I remember. I can't piece it together, but I know exactly what you're talking about. John, was that you as well? Jump in. What did That's he say? The, I yeah. absolutely remember that. I, I used that the picture of the ball hitting him as my Facebook profile pic for a few months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it, John. What did he say? He said, "I got." He, they asked him where he got hit. He said, "The dick." <laughs> That's precious. That was precious. Oh my God, Jordani Valdez and Mike Goodwin. Has Jordani Valdez been uh, had kids yet? <laughs> we don't know. Justin Verlander may have taken care of that. Oh, as, as George as George Costanza would ask, can his boys swim? There you go. <laughs> and let me tell you, he's playing triple crown type baseball in the Atlantic League. He made he made the All Star team. I saw him. Uh, I saw him in the uh, triple in the uh, Independent League All Star game. Where mm-hmm. not wearing number one anymore. Wearing number fifteen. How about that? So he so he came up in two thousand twelve. He can't be more than thirty thirty one years old. And um, and speaking of him, now, now that we're on the Jordani Valdesman kick, and, and Sam, I'm going to you next, and, and John next after that. Um, remember when? He hot dogged something against the Pirates. He did something weird, and then they drilled him the next day. And then, um, and then the, none of the Mets defended him. Like they were just like looking at him, laying there in the uh, in the batter's box. Nobody came out to check on him. And then I That's believe right. it was John Buck who eventually went up to him. Like after some time went by, they made their point. And I think John Buck in the dugout put his arm around them and was like, "Dude." The reason that happened is blank, you know. So, John Buck, I really like John Buck. We're not doing number 44. So, uh, yeah, Valdespin was, was um, <laughs> an interesting cat. So, Sam, number one, who, who would be a number one for you? And don't say Oliver Perez. He's number one, number one. I don't want to hear that name again. Just kidding. <laughs> That's a different digit. <laughs> so, did did, um, did Felix Mion wear number one? 16. Yeah, yeah, I think he uh, wore 16 and 17. Uh, well, that would be my number one. I don't have the list in front of me, and and it's you know, I I got I guess I'm gonna go with uh, the unfulfilled so far, Ahmed Rosario. You know, we we he's what 23, 24 years old. Everybody lay off of it. He's gonna be quite astounding, I think. And we've talked about it before. So uh, since unfortunately, um, and this is a um, a non shameless non-plug for how terrible Sprint is. Get your stuff together and let me go on the internet while I'm on the phone, Sprint, like so many other, you know, 2019 uh, uh, cell phone services. But, uh, yeah, I, I, you got to go with Ahmed Rosario there, uh, you know, tangent notwithstanding. <laughs> well, you know, good call on that, Sam, because Ahmed Rosario, thank God they didn't trade him for Real Muto, right? I mean, this kid's got some – I just got a dirty look because my daughter is not a big fan of Ahmed Rosario. Um, but <laughs> I, I think the kid has incredible, incredible upside. 
And I, I, I am very high on him, and I'm glad he's on the organization. So good call on that. And, John, give me number one. Who wore number one who, who you'd like to mention, give an honorable mention to here? I'm going to, get, I'm going to go off the board. Probably the most improbable hit as a Met, you would say, would be Daesung Koo, his, uh, his uh, triple off of Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. Correct? You would say that? You would agree? I would agree. Okay. I would nominate as the second most improbable hit in Mets history, Daryl Siciliani, who wore number one, mm-hmm. hitting a home run off Madison Bumgarner out of nowhere. Mm. Did, not, did absolutely ah. nothing else as a Met. But but somehow hit a home run off of Madison Baumgartner. So that's who I'm that's who I'm going with. That's my that's my off the you board know, number one. It's fun. It's funny because I uh, mentioned to Chiliani. Somebody somebody like tweeted some random projected uh, lineup, you know, with Rajai Davis included for like June of 2019 as a joke. And, and I I tweeted back at them. I'm like, you forgot how to spell to Chiliani. So it's funny that you're mentioning that this is coming up right now. Um, Sam, I remember that tweet. It was yesterday. And um, and I honestly thought when we were running this around the loop here that you were going to go Siciliani. I, I really did um, <laughs> for that exact reason, and you didn't. So, okay, good. You know, okay. you notice, I, I don't think anybody ever pronounced it that way, but do you notice, don't I, I keep pronouncing it with uh, Italian uh, uh, inflection. Yeah, the church. Exactly. I mean, you know, he, he might be working, uh, you know, in a restaurant someday. Who knows? And um, we, have, we are the maybe now podcasts. <laughs> That's right. So, guys, <laughs> it has been a fun hour. It's been exactly an hour, actually, that we've been talking Mets baseball and where they are now. Um, you know, and I think the fan base. I'll throw this around. Just jump in. Anybody, jump in. Uh, right now, I would assess the fan base as being energized. I think some people, you have, you, have, you, know, you have the bell curve, right? You have some people on the left end of the bell curve who are saying they're trained to many prospects, same old shit, you have that. Then you have people on the right end of the bell curve who are like, I'm going to run out and buy season tickets, I love what Brody's doing. But really the majority of the fan base, I would characterize from what I'm seeing on Twitter as cautiously optimistic. They've made a lot of moves. They had to. Sometimes you need to do things just for change. I think people recognize that. And I think people are, are a bit, a little, I don't want to say stoked, but interested about the upcoming season based on the volume of moves they've made. Anybody want to agree or disagree with that? Well, I think the we're only all thing agreed. I'm sorry, Sam. I think we're all agreed when I say next season will turn out drastically differently than the last. For better or worse, it's going to be different. Well, I, what, I, what I was going to say was that I still think there was a tweet that I saw uh, where, where it was a screenshot of some email with the ticket representative. And the, t- and the guy <laughs> who was tweeting yes. it, I guess, didn't, didn't um, re-up the season tickets or, you know, it kept going, I'm not sure yet, I'm not sure yet. And the guy lists everything the Mets have done, all this stuff, all this stuff. And at the end, it says, besides signing Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, what else do we have to do? And unfortunately, that's the position the Welpons are in. We're, we're interested. But like we keep saying, you want to make New York interested. You want to make major leagues interested. You want to make all of America 
flying in to see a city field ball game, going all the way out to Queens, going the 15 to 20 minutes it most likely will take from Times Square to go see that ball game instead of the ball game in the Bronx that takes 15 minutes from Wall Street, then sign Bryce Harper. You know, <laughs> that's that's what you have to do, ticket representative. That was one of the funniest tweets in a long time. And, you know, and that ticket rep who's basically saying, you were stupid to buy season tickets last year, so why aren't you buying them this year? I'm like, dude, what, what, what? Who taught you your selling <laughs> skills? John, how do you assess the mood of, of the Met, the Met uh, fandom at this point? I'd say same, cautiously optimistic. You know, you, the, the Mets, you've got to – I saw one – person and i'm gonna i'm gonna quote the bell curve here where you where you say there's there's just going to be your negatives and your positives no matter no matter what happens but there was one comment i saw that said you know brody is the most important person to happen to this franchise in a long long time and my the thought in my head was can we play a game first can we can we just can we play a game before we put that mantle on him uh, so, yeah, I say cautiously optimistic, and I will bring up this regarding the offseason. I know you've probably gone through this trade in past podcasts because it happened a while ago now, but I think that Edwin Diaz trade is going to be a case study that's going to be talked about for years to come. That's the trade. I am fascinated to find out how this goes. It's the trade that probably scares me the most. But I'm very – I'm excited to at least see what the ending is, even if the ending is a complete dumpster fire. It's going to be – that's going to be one of those case study trades. We're going to be talking about that one forever, no matter what happens. You know, you're right, and I'll tell you why you're right, John. I have a couple of things on that, and they're not necessarily good things. We found out after the trade that Diaz has those chips in his elbow, right? Um, right. Wouldn't it be so Mets, and here's me being negative, I try not to do that, if a month into the season he has to have season-ending elbow surgery to clear out the bone spurs because now they do bother him. It's like, oh, he has them, they don't bother him. Did anybody yeah. on God's green earth feel reassured by that statement? Anyone? Anyone? No. No. Of course not. Robinson Cano. This guy could come in and hit 280 with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, that's not out of the question. This guy can freaking hit. Or this guy could realize he's 36 years old and he can hit 220 with 15 home runs and 60 RBIs. Mike, I know you said it. John, you said it. This is going to be a, a variable outcome. Not only this season, but that one trade, it can go in a lot of different directions. And, yeah. and you could say, you could say of, the same thing for Kellenic too. You could say the same thing. He could be he could be a prospect that that we're gonna who's gonna be a footnote, or he could be Ichiro. There you go, there you go. And that's the long term thing on the trade. And the short term thing is, you know, how will these guys do this year? You have a guy with with bone spurs and a guy who's thirty six. They could be great, or they could make it. They could have a non impact. So we'll see. Um, are they so, talking right. in Seattle? Are they talking in Seattle of Kellenic, uh Michael Confortoing it this year? No, I, I haven't. Think so. No, I haven't heard that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think he's um, he's still like he's 19 years old. He's still pretty young, and um, and I think that they 
I think that they're kind of laughing up their sleeve a little bit. I think they fleece, that they think that they fleece the Mets from what everything oh, I'm yeah, hearing. Oh, I heard the quote that Jerry Depoto was was apparently running up and down the hallways, uh, freaking out, laughing. That not laughing, but smiling ear to ear that he made this trade. Like he loved it. Sure. I mean, look from Depoto's perspective, they're rebuilding. That old cliche: when you're rebuilding, you don't need a closer because you're not going to win a whole hell of a lot of games anyway. So they got rid of their closer, who may be damaged goods, but let's say optimistically he's not. He dumped off an enormous salary that you don't want on your team when you're rebuilding, and he got back a lot. He got back Bruce, okay, and Swarzak, okay, but he got back a very live arm and a very highly regarded prospect. And he got rid of a financial burden. I, I, if I were Depoto, I'd be happy too. You know, it, it doesn't mean the deal's not going to work for the Mets. It just means that it's a big, it's a huge, huge turning point, one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, that's going to be like I said. It's going to be that that case study: how you value prospects, how you value the right now. And also the volatility of relievers, too. Let, let's say the bone chips aren't even a factor. You're still asking Diaz to repeat the season, the one great season that he had after not only switching teams but switching leagues. There you have it. Mike, Sam, Tough final ass. comments on that? No, what? No. Uh, where, where, was he, where was he before Seattle? He was, uh, I think last year was his second year in the big leagues with Seattle. No, John just said that he uh, switched teams, switched leagues, was it? Oh, he's yeah, switching Diaz. leagues. Yeah, he's switching leagues. That's what I'm saying. No, you're, gonna, you're asking oh, no. him as a Met fan. You're asking him to have that. You're ha- expecting him to have the season he had last year again. Oh, you said as a Met. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm, right, I'm right. Sorry. I'm talking I, about I, this upcoming year, yes. Backwards. I was hearing you backwards. I apologize. That's okay. That's, a, that's, somehow, that's sometimes the best way to listen to me is backwards. all right man i think um i think it's time to pull this one in so it's um it's been a fun night talking baseball i know whenever we do this it always gets my juices going you know toward the season um and so we'll do last words so how about we do it in this order john as our guest we'll have you go first with your last word then we'll go to Sam, then we'll go to Mike. So what, what's your last word you want to leave people with at this point, John? Um, basically, that I'm, first off, I'm, I'm very thankful to uh, have the opportunity to talk with you guys and uh, talk baseball with you guys. And I think, uh, and I don't know if, if there's really a last word that can sum this up. I, I think that talking about being cautiously optimistic and cautiously intrigued about the season is a great way to end it. So, Excuse me. So I'm just going to say on a, on a personal note, I have re uh, I have re- revived my own podcast, our own podcast. I finally got a microphone. I finally got a pop filter, and at some point I'm going to have a Skype account. So at some point I want to have each of you guys on my podcast because I owe you for for continuously inviting me here. I owe you. I want to have you guys at some point on my podcast, and I can't wait to do it with you guys. Very nice. Thank you for joining us, John. It's always a pleasure. All right, Sam, last word. Last word. Should I go with exactly where you think I'm going to go? Hashtag (laughs) sign Bryce Harper. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I got, I mean, listen, I'm not going to be excited for the season and it's, it's clear that this team is going to be very intriguing to watch start. Uh, and of course we have to, you know, now the threshold is let's see how they play after 12 games. But, uh, you know, that's always going to be the joke under, uh, un, under Mickey Calloway. But, you know, one way or the other, you know, we, we were talking about the end of the season. Other than June, we really liked a lot of things we saw from a team that was clearly in transition, and we didn't even really recognize them when we were going into 2018 because we had optimism. But Sandy Alderson was clearly on his way out. A lot of some of the criticisms we, uh, we were talking about had to do with the fact that the game was kind of passing behind him, was passing him by, excuse me. Uh, passing behind him. I don't even know what that would mean. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that there was a lot of great things that we saw in August and September, you know, other than, like Mike said, Polvecki having some a good finish. So I, I think that, yeah, we need, you know, I, I think that there's a reason why, combined with the moves that BBW has done uh, and with what we saw from a lot of uh, parts of this team last year, that we are are excited for this season coming up, regardless of the fact that it's so glaringly, you know, clear that you need to sign somebody like Bryce Harper if he's a New York Mets franchise. But we still should have we still should have a, a good baseball season upon us, one way or the other, hopefully. And and you know, you just gotta you just gotta stave off when things start to fall apart. And and they've made some depth moves, so you know. Let's 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 see what we got. Giddy up. I'm with you. Mike. We need to see. I'm just gonna sit back and relax for a little bit. See what goes on. You know, I, I, I said that thing about the two years from now. Uh so that's where I am. I know everything that they're doing is just a matter of trying to get to that place. So, you know, it'll be fun to see how this works out, changes in place and uh you know, BBW is the man. So let's see where he takes this. And uh, the only thing I would add to that is legitimacy. We're, we're, we're missing that one, one, one last piece of legitimacy to this whole plan. If you really want to sell it, you know, that'll be, that'll be the hook. Sage words. That'll be the day. It was a very musical podcast or writing songs or singing songs. and all those <laughs> Um, I got a little holly in the crickets in at the end there. There you go. I like it. So, all right, my last word is a hyphenated word, um, and that's 37. I think we don't know what that means. 37 days, and in about an hour and 45 minutes, 36 days until pitchers and catchers. So um, I am pumped. I mean, it's at that point now where, you know, football's down to a precious few games, and – and I'm starting to feel it a little more. The, the trades in the past few days have put the Mets you know, in the news. And so, like the trades or hate the trades, the Mets are making moves and they're in the news now. And it just gets the baseball juices going a little bit. So, 37, soon to be 36, and I'm ready, getting ready to go. It sounds like all, all uh, four of us are in that place. So, John. Once again, sir, thank you for joining us. It is always, and I mean this candidly, it is always a pleasure to have you. Um, it's great talking baseball with you. Sam and Mike, of course, it's great talking baseball with you guys because we do it all the time, and it's always fun. And um, 
With that, there are two things to say. I'll say the first one. Once again, Happy New Year to everyone. And we all know the second one, how we end every show. What is it, guys? Let's go. Let's go, Mets. Excellent. Have a great night, guys, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, everybody. Take care. All right. Bye now. Thank you, guys. Good